This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. And we are back. In the dark room, Art of Darkness. I'm Kevin Kautzman here in beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota, joined by Brad Kelly, my partner in crime. We returned to the the scene of the original podcast, Crime, with the Burroughs episode recently. Brad, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. It took me a it took me a minute to recover from that, to be honest. But that was a, that was a lot of fun. I hope people are digging it. Six hours of Burroughs, <laughs> incredible. <laughs> and and this is a dark room episode. That means we have a guest, and we're going to be talking particularly about kind of a lost novel for Mary Shelley, the novel that's not Frankenstein that you should Mm -hmm. know. We have the great Adam Lehrer here to talk about Mary Shelley and the last man. Adam, how are you? I'm very well. Like I said before, I'm about 75%. I just want to point out to anyone who might watch the UFC that Sean Strickland was fucking robbed of his belt. True. And I am not going to get over this shit any goddamn time soon. Yeah. God forbid an outspoken white man do his goddamn thing. Anyway, yeah, speak, speaking of the last man, Sean Strickland's yeah. a candidate. Sean Strickland for that title. is the last man. I yep. would literally follow him into the pits of fucking hell. Straight up. It's, this was the fight in Canada. I didn't watch yeah, it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, I don't hate Drickus, the guy he was fighting. I don't it's not hate Dr- it's not Drickus's fault. Yeah. Yeah. And um in most, like, if it was Drickus versus Izzy, I'd be rooting for Drickus. Like, but it's Sean Strickland. This guy's like created such a fan base. Like, he's just kind of voiced an opinion that's been suppressed in the media for so long, but is held by so many people, particularly fans of mixed martial arts, mm-hmm. that the guys felt like a gift. And mm-hmm. then um, he he gets the belt from Izzy, and it was like fucking miraculous. You know, I literally was charged the fuck up watching that shit and then to just see him ripped off it's like a fucking knife to the heart yeah yeah what it went it went the distance and then they they just they gave it to yeah yeah they get and you know it's an old ufc dictum an old fighting dictum really that if you're going to take the belt in a decision you got to do so convincingly this shit wasn't convincing drick has got a few takedowns that uh sean immediately got up from Mm -hmm. sean outstruck him in every round except one, and the total strike count was like 157 to 88 or something. Yeah. But they kept doing, dude, it was shiesty shit. They were counting mm. kicks as strikes. They were counting fucking like haymakers that would roll off the shoulder as strikes. It was a botched job. Yeah. Mm. And, and Drickus, I mean, Drickus is a good fighter. Like he was, he was put, he was putting in work, but he just didn't, he wasn't winning rounds. It just didn't yeah, make any yeah. sense at the end. He yeah. kind of throws like a bodybuilder or something, mm-hmm. you know? He looks like I would look in a UFC, just kind of like big, clunky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it hurts when it, when he fucking lands those punches, but Sean just is so precise with the jab, and it's just like, 
Like, Kevin, you seriously, just look at these guys' faces like an hour after the fight. Drinker's yeah, got tell me two who won. broken eye sockets <laughs> wearing Damn. the belt around his fucking face. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. All right. Cool. I haven't followed the UFC in a long time. One of my bucket list things is with, uh, I want to go with Brad to uh, a UFC in Mexico City. That oh, is, uh, if they ever get back there, man, that'd be so much fun. Yeah, I want to go so bad. I tried getting tickets for um, the last one in Madison Square Garden, which was supposed to be the John Jones fight, but then he got hurt. And then it ended up being the fight where Pereira won the light heavy belt. So it still would have been worth it. Like, it amazing. Cool, yeah. But, yeah. um, Dude, I I was in there for like one minute in the waiting room. By the time I got on, the le- the cheapest ticket in the house was twenty five hundred bucks. Oh yeah, that that's the thing. They're insane. I, I insane. I've tried to do it a couple times, buy tickets in the past, and you're just like, oh well, I'm not gonna. You know, it, it, yeah, you, it's one day when I'm rich, well maybe I'll pull this off. Yeah, I did yeah. not realize the tickets were that expensive. That's well that. for the for the numbered events, the big the big the big the events. Big ones, you could yeah. probably get into a smaller one a little bit cheaper, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, but you want to go right. to the pay per view. You want the whole thing: the celebs, mm-hmm. the lights, the action, yeah. Trump, yeah. Kid Rock. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Adam. Yeah. Why are you in the dark room? Why are you on Art of Darkness to talk about Mary Shelley in this novel in particular? I know you have you've got strong feelings about the last man. I do you want to give people an introduction to this? We talked about Frankenstein ad nauseum on the core episode. Only yeah. kind of glanced at this, so I'm really glad to have you on to talk about it. Yeah, it's cool. Um, it's honestly the first time I've talked about. I think on one of these types of shows about. Oh, you got before I get into this, you guys want to hear something cool? Yes. Last night, I'm at a little gathering for the publishing company, Expat Lit. And this person comes up to me. And of all the shit that I've done, they yeah. come up to me and say, I heard you on that Antonin Artaud episode of Art of Darkness. <laughs> all right. All right. Very cool, man. All right. All right. A classic episode, A Meeting it of is. the Minds. You're on the episode. You're you're in the reading that we did of, uh, of, of his play. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did my theater company. That was a fun episode. Very I gotta cool. send you. Um, I've written three plays in the last year. One of oh, my friends showed. Please, please send those scripts to me. I want to send you a script too. We've got a very funny idea for like a short film slash podcast slash play that we wanna we wanna film. It's about it's called The Edge of Liberty, and it's about sued right wing podcasters who try polyamory. They try base <laughs> polyamory. So yeah, uh, so you good. we'll do a script ex- exchange. I'll read yours. You read. All right, one. cool. All right, yeah, I have one I think you'd really like. Um, yeah, we might do something with it out here. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Mary Shelley. All right. So what's cool about this is I typically get asked to talk about guys like Burroughs or Artaud, you know, 20th century mystic dope fiends or whatever. <laughs> um, Mary Shelley, I read Frankenstein for the first time when I was like, 12. you know, just kind of like you'd watch the movies and then I had the book and you'd kind of read through it. I didn't realize how good she was until later, obviously um and then last man i i mean I, i've always loved frankenstein i even have my favorite tattoo is oh that's cool uh, man frankenstein yeah. yeah um but I, I i read last man for the first time in my 20s and jesus i gotta admit you guys i kind of forgot what a fucking colossus this book was I was like, Jesus Christ there's no way i'm making it all the way through these three <laughs> volumes but um I paid a particular attention to the second volume and the end of the third, because I think those are the ones that are sort of most relevant to, uh, to, to modern times. 
And what's cool about the book, it, I, you would have thought that it would have got popular along with the plague, et cetera, during the pandemic, but it's still basically overlooked. And one thing that finds I find particularly interesting about it is she simultaneously is like um, 100% correct about some, like how some things would shake out. And then uh, a, like a, sort of an abundance of things that she kind of would misread due to her own uh, 19th century liberal bias. Um, one of the themes of the book, especially that, uh, well, funny thing, she thinks the Ottoman Empire is somehow extending to the year 2100, which is like, it's crazy to think that the Ottoman Empire was once so ubiquitous that you couldn't imagine a future without right, it. Right. You know, now NATO fucking just bulldozes <laughs> all over that shit. Um, but the other thing is she's a, we know she's like a bit of a science nerd. We know this from mm -hmm. Frankenstein. And the book demonstrates a bit too much of a faith in the what could be possible with science. And if like perhaps these people had more of it, perhaps they could uh, control or uh, defend against the plague that happens. And of course, we now know that, you know, science is abused as, uh, just like anything else is mm -hmm. but it's a it's a remarkable story and the other thing it creates basically two genres at once speculative fiction apocalyptic fiction etc and the other thing it's a bit of a theory fiction is because this book started with her wanting to write a book about her husband mm -hmm. uh and she who was had, yeah go ahead right who had died uh yeah four years earlier at sea yeah which is insane. And she, and um, Byron had died too. So she kind of lost her, like her homies. Mm -hmm. And um, she wanted to write a book about her husband uh, who's represented by literally the last man in the novel. And um, I think that's sweet because you can tell that she really loves him by the way that she depicts this character of um, Adrian, mm -hmm. Adrian Earl of Windsor. And uh, who's, so she's who's also, like the most virtuous person imaginable. Yeah, he gives yeah. up his wealth. He like, yeah. you know, tries to lead the people into paradise. It's, you know, a, a depiction of her very romantic and progressively minded husband. Mm -hmm. um, so she's also sort of accidentally creating a theory fiction at the same time because she's spinning this huge mystical narrative out of which is essentially a, a coded biography or a journal mm -hmm. or something. Very interesting way to write a book. Um, one is curious what like a good editor could do, like chopping this thing down into maybe like one volume because so many 19th century books just like fucking sprawl. And we know why. It's because they had no computers to like chop this shit down. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they just put it all out. Um, yeah. yeah. But it's a great story. And I think uh, I think she even said herself that it was one of her favorite works. She yeah she did later although it was the the work of hers that was most savaged by the critics um, I have, I'm just going to read a few pairs from Wikipedia to kind of give context to what this novel is um, so the publication history it was her third novel and this whole concept of the last man was thematic for the period so this is what it says under publication history the last man followed several other last man themed works including a French narrative. The Last Man, Le Denier Homme, 
Uh, my French is terrible. Byron's poem, Darkness, which I actually want to read. Uh, I think I'll do that in the after dark. Uh, for Patreon, patreon.com slash Art of Dark Pod. Come back after we're done with the main episode. I'll have some juicy stuff for you. And then Thomas Campbell wrote a poem called The Last Man. So this is a theme, right? Mm. This is like a motif mm. for the period. Um, there were two editions of this novel, Shelley's The Last Man, published in London in 1826 and one edition in Paris the same year. There was a pirated American edition in 1833, but it was the reception, like, of the contemporary reviewers was brutal. And here's what they had to say. Uh, it got the worst reviews of all her novels. Most reviewers deriding the very theme of lastness, which had become a common one. So they're like, this is tired. This is cliche. What are you talking yeah. about? And of course mm -hmm. she was so far ahead of her time or outside of her time that people really had no idea what to do with it. Um, individual reviewers labeled the book sickening, criticized its stupid <laughs> cruelties and called the author's imagination diseased. The reality, that's a crazy reaction. review. I love it. Listen, if you're getting reviews like that, hey, I mean, at least you're getting a reaction. It sounds um, like some it, shit people say about me on sites like Lolcow or something. Right? <laughs> Everything about this man is sickening. Diseased. Yeah. He's, got, he's got a diseased brain. Um, I want to read one more little bit here because I think this but, is interesting. That's a, that is yeah, a funny review. So I, I've been listening to this mostly. I've been reading it a bit and listening to it mostly in audio. There's uh, a great audiobook version of it. Um, anyway, YouTube free. Um, but I don't even know where is the disgusting part. Like I, I'm not even sure. Yeah, it's very sweeping and grandiose and like yeah, beautiful and tender. I, I, I don't know how you like. You, I can almost I can see somebody saying this isn't good, maybe. But like I, I don't even understand diseased mind. That's very bizarre feedback yeah. criticism. Hmm. Yeah. Well, here's a section on politics that I find really interesting and relevant to our current time. And then we'll just get back to the, the discussion. But because um, I want to hear more about both of your thoughts about it. But listen to this. Um, Eileen Hunt Botting of the University of Notre, Notre Dame has stated that the novel saw that the disaster of a pandemic would be driven by politics and that the spiraling health crisis would be caused by what people and their leaders, leaders had done and failed to do on the international stage in trade, war, and the interpersonal bargains, pacts, and conflicts that precede them. Botting has further described the novel as identifying three patterns of modern democratic corruption, which would be exposed and exacerbated by a pandemic. And there are three of them. One, slow yet steady institutional erosion of norms and practices of trust and equality. Mm -hmm. Two, authoritarian forms of populism that betray the people who bring an executive leader to power. And three, patriarchal and religious forms of populism that manipulate the people's beliefs through fear and disinformation. Mm -hmm. and now, that's so, that three is so interesting because what's like it wasn't the Catholic Church or the churches that were manipulating people through fear and disinformation this last time around. So just some interesting mm -hmm. stuff and, and, and maybe points to sort of how germane this novel is. Mm -hmm is now yeah but the church has been replaced by instant like institutions Pfizer. yeah exactly you know that's the church the church of ideology so all these things are still basically true i mean i'm sure you guys remember three months into 2020 or what was it five months into 2020 when people were like is that really i don't know I thought this was gonna be first. you know right you take a walk see people in maps and yet every single person you know is still basically okay People started to have questions. And then what happened? George Floyd got choked out. And uh, there was this huge other thing going on 
that di- you know diverted attention. I mean, it was just such an interesting use of um, control. Mm-hmm. It was kind of genius, and it happened so organically. That's what I think is a the novel kind of happens. Uh, it captures how this shit is never like rigorously planned. It's not like there's some evil mad hatters in a like. It's not like Metal Gear Solid Two where there's like twelve guys just planning the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like opportunities are seized upon, yeah, and and failures, uh, institutional uh, failures happen at the personal level, and then sort of uh, sweep on an institutional level, mm-hmm. and like it's. Last man could like very, you know, you could use it to justify your beliefs no matter which way you look at it. It's very kind of neutral in some way. Like I could mm-hmm. definitely take last man and be like, this is why we need to solve the climate problem right nice. goddamn now. Right. You right, know, right. but um, you can, but you can also be like, there's still a lot of truth to this. It, there's a lot of truth in the story about just how things unfold and things that test your will and test your ethics and code and whatnot yeah yeah hmm. yeah i, have, I mean uh, yeah oh, go, go ahead kevin do you have something brad i have no I go have for some, it i have a so i've prepared a few notes here to kind of guide the conversation um this is from may 2020 which there you go and uh this comes from the university of sydney down in Australia, and they had a very severe response to the, the pandemic, didn't they? Uh, I will read a, I'll read a few paragraphs of this. Uh, Mary Shelley is famous for one novel, her first, Frankenstein. Its extraordinary career and adaptation began almost from the point of publication, and it has had a long afterlife. We know that. Uh, it speaks to, to us now in our fears of scientific overreach, our difficulties in recognizing our shared humanity. But her neglected later book, The Last Man, has the most to say to us in our present moment of crisis and global pandemic. The Last Man is a novel of isolation, an isolation that reflected Shelley's painful circumstances. The novel's characters closely resemble the famous members of the Shelley Byron circle, including Shelley's husband, Percy Bysshe Shelley, his friend, uh, Lord Byron, and Mary... Is it Bechet? I think we said it was Bechet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, Mary's stepsister and Byron's sometime lover, Claire Claremont. By the time Shelley came to write the novel, all of them, along with all but one of her children, were dead. Once part of the most significant social circle of second-generation romantic poet intellectuals, Shelley now found herself almost alone in the world. As it kills off character after character, the last man recreates this history of loss, along with the author's crushing sense of loneliness. Mm-hmm. I'll read a few more paragraphs here. This is interesting. Um, The novel was not a critical success. We know that. Beginning in about 1805, these stories and poems came, and she's talking about the last man narratives that were motif here. So they started in around 1805. These stories and poems came as a response to great cultural changes and new unsettling discoveries that challenged how people thought about the place of the human race in the world. A new understanding of species extinction. The first recognized dinosaur was discovered around 1811, made people fear humans could also be extinguished from the earth. Two catastrophically depopulating events, the horrifying bloodshed of the Revolutionary and Napoleonic Wars and the rapid global cooling caused by the massive eruption of Mount Tambora, which I think actually was responsible for the the um, climate issues that that impacted them when they were in Switzerland that famous summer where she where she worked. Yeah, 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 yeah I, I think you're right. Related to that, yeah. So uh, people were starting to think about human extinction. It's very interesting too because we're all of a certain age, and mm-hmm. 
we were totally psyoped with this whole millenarian end of the world 2000 Y2K stuff all our lives. I mean, I feel like that's a that's this is a, an ongoing motif. I, uh, the, yeah. the more I pay attention to stuff, I feel like this is that's a generalized anxiety that has basically affected everybody in recorded history <laughs> in mm, one way or yeah. another. You know, it changes shape and sometimes the, the, the catastrophe is like arms reach from you or even closer. But I think it's always kind of there for one reason or another. Yeah, the mm. philosopher, he kind of sucks, but I read the book, um, Thomas Moynihan. He published a book in 2020, of course, called X Risk, which mm. is about um, basically the the theory of um, existence threats or like people starting to think about the end of history, the end of existence. And he cites The Last Man a lot because, um, mm. you know, it is the first novel to first really kind of deal with the end of civilization, which is interesting because... Like, I guess we all know now intuitively on some level that mankind doesn't go on forever. But that's like a distinctly modern thought, you know? Yeah. So something about the rapid progress, uh, quest towards knowledge, towards science, towards knowledge, like the universe brought us closer to like the end than, than it, it was supposed to be like the beginning of something. And it was, but it's also like the beginning of the end. Yeah. Uh, whereas before perhaps before the 18th or 17th or 16th or whenever centuries, mankind just kind of existed, went forward and forward and forward, discovery, new continents, mm -hmm. uh, the building of great cities, etc. And then like all of a sudden there's like this downer, like the, the revolution happens, the monarchy is overthrown, and then it doesn't feel. And I, I think there's a big part of this book where like there's this feeling of being let down. Yeah. Like she had all this revolutionary fervor with her husband and Lord Byron. They're they're smoking opium. They're telling stories all night. They're talking about the future. And then it all sort of ends. The revolution happens. The king is overthrown in fucking France. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't feel as good as it's it, it, it doesn't end the sadness of being a human. And uh, I think that's sort of like the most interesting reckoning inside the novel is like we achieved the goal and it's it's not what yeah. we thought it would be. Yeah. Well, and it's it, this is a theme that Americans can relate to uh, free love, the letdown, the come down after the party. Yeah. Uh, feels like feels like that's the status quo now. Yeah. It's like the last man is like the Woodstock you know <laughs> of of the 19th century revolutions it's like or not the woodstock sorry, altamont charles, charles manson altamont yeah accepted. altamont yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 like um i mean hunter s thompson wrote about this at length because his writing is clearly like he has the best sort of um stark contrast in his writing at first he's like you wouldn't believe it the momentum the hippies are taking over. We're winning. And then like three years later, it's like, well, that, yeah, that was kind of bullshit. Let me go yeah. move into a ranch in Colorado and shoot guns until I fucking yeah. oh, yeah. myself. Yeah. We're, we're getting ready to do him later this year. That's going to be fun. Oh, cool. That's yeah. Fun I've been yeah. thinking about him lately. Um, mm. He's such like a cool figure like when you're a teenager, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then you kind of forget about him. But then recently I've been kind of remembering how great he was, not just as a writer, but as a public. Figure. Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't have there aren't very there's nobody quite like him. 
I don't even yeah. know if there could be any more. Yeah. 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 The the <laughs> Kentucky gentleman himself. <laughs> <laughs> he had so much fun. I mean, remember fun? I remember fun. <laughs> That's 100% true. Yeah. I mean, hmm. there's a couple figures that are sort of like Hunter-esque, but they're like, you know, shamed and ridiculed and they lose their platforms pretty quickly. I mean, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. aforementioned Sean Strickland. Yeah, yeah the regime the regime can't handle fun or humor. No, that's like the main thing that's like um I mean it's not like The Last Man is a particularly fun novel either, but there are sparks of joy in it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um and I think like you know, there's the friendship between I mean, okay, so we have Lionel and we have Adrian. Lionel is like sort of supposed to be a monarch, but he has this sort of genetic mishap or familial mishap and ends up uh, outcasted. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then Adrian sort of like leaves the monarchy. I forget kind of how it plays out, but he leaves the monarchy or like I think there's a political I think there's a political change where like there is no longer a monarchy. So he would have been right, right, right. it's about like the end of the monarchy. Yeah. And then he goes and makes amends with um, Lionel and they end up becoming like lifelong friends. So there is sort of like a tenderness and a sweetness within this like epic sweeping tome of mourning, regret, sadness and loss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you do get the sense that, that, that Lionel, um, his sister, uh, Padita, is the name, I think the name of the character, Adrian, and then a handful of these other characters that I think are supposed to represent the Mary, the, the, the Mary Shelley, Percy, Lord Byron circle, <clears throat> that they all do like genuinely love each other, sentimentally and otherwise. That this is like, and not just romantically, that this is like, um, yeah, it, there is a there is a bit of joy when Lionel gets like, because Lionel is basically living in the woods practically when he yeah. befriends Adrian again and he sort of <laughs> he sort of he sort of becomes an actual human being through that friendship it's actually it's it's nice <laughs> it's like Jane meeting Tarzan yeah yeah exactly making a yeah. man out of him well uh, and then and you do think I do think I've always been interested in 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 like the the corollary between like a, uh, the apocalypse as a as a narrative or as a trope and then like it reflecting everybody's sense that they're gonna die right like it's a exteriorized mm -hmm. death anxiety but when you're mary shelley and you're watching everybody die around you that's more horror that's worse than dying yourself in my opinion absolutely yeah. yeah it's like death is all around you um, yeah and that, and that aperture just closing till you're the you're it that's you're the only uh, that's that's way more horrifying than, <laughs> than yeah because we all grapple with mortality like God damn, you know, there are some nights I struggle with sleeping sometimes. So I'm waiting for the fucking Xanax to, to hit or whatever. And then you just get that sharp, jarring thought of like, oh, my God, I'm going to die someday. You know, <laughs> you know everybody uh -huh. gets that shit sometimes. Woo! Oh, yeah. But yeah. You can't stop thinking about it when someone you care about is sick or dying. It's true. Uh, it's true. No. I, I sometimes think this is where the technology of Christianity comes into play. Uh, the idea that instead of um, waiting for that thought to come to you, you go toward that thought. Mm. There's something dignified and graceful about that. I mean, we go to mass on Saturday. So right after this, I'll be going and thinking about it. Well, I, I think 
I think you're totally right. I mean, because you'll notice that the the secular ideologies that 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 we sort of live in, their only response to death seems to be either to pretend it doesn't panic. exist panic. or to stay totally off as panic. long as panic. possible. Yeah. Or to try yeah. to get control over it, whether it's euthanasia or Absolutely. they want to control it as mm -hmm. much as they possibly can. Yeah. Did you guys yeah. see the trailer for that fucking movie that's coming out? It looks so bad. It's um You don't even have to say it. That yeah, all of them are bad. <laughs> no, what, no, what, what is um, it? It was the one, it's the guy who directed he does like midwit pseudo art house sci-fi. He did the what is the one with um Oscar Isaac as the tech billionaire and the android. Oh yeah. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. he's got yeah. this new movie coming out. Yeah, dude. And yeah. it's like 100 percent just like a depiction of what happens inside the libtard brain when they look at January 6th footage. Right. You know, it just shows uh, like the civil president war like oh, unhinged God. nuking his own country for no reason. <laughs> right, right, and then right. it shows like like uh what's his face? Uh Todd from Breaking Bad. He's got like these cool alt-right sunglasses yep. on and he's like, You're not American to me. And what I'm kind like, of American right. are you? Yeah, dude. Isn't this guy British? Yeah, he's something like oh, that. Get um, out. Get and it was funny because there was actually a, a few films last year that I loved. Uh good that um we're grappling with so many interesting things but uh this is like holly it's always sort of like a forward momentum and then a step backward mm -hmm. i saw this civil war movie as sort of one of those steps backwards and um and yeah like that's that's like the contemporary version of existential thinking it's just like yeah Fuck, no right right, right. <laughs> instead of um but mary shelley here I, I mean, even though I think pretty sure she was a, she, she, she didn't like, she wasn't like a practicing Christian, right? I, I don't think so. I think yeah, they were exactly. very just, they were just very progressive. Yeah. yeah. Modern. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and despite that, there is a sort of a Christian ending because in the end of the third volume, Adrian's lost everybody, but he doesn't give up. Instead, he sort of uh, he befriends a sheep and keeps looking for other survivors. So it suggests that, like, you can lose everything, but you still have to keep moving forward and um, and keep trying to right what's been wrong. I think there's a very heroic sentiment at the at the end of this. I want to get a few things clear about her religion. I just did a quick search. It's been a while since I did the episode. That you can do a search for her religion, and immediately, immediately, it's like from her diaries. It says she was a devout Christian, and then the next article is like so and so argues she was an atheist. Her husband was an atheist. I I think she's a Chris, She was a Christian in a sense that we would probably recognize today, if okay. that if that makes sense. So there's probably a, a wash in the culture, but she wasn't like. She's like, I believe in God to an extent, but I don't right. know. Right. She I was baptized that. and married in the Church of England, but it was messy and very, I guess we would say modern. I mean, there was divorce yeah. and Shelley, they waited for Shelley's, for Percy Shelley's wife to kill herself before they married. I mean, it was just, yeah. it was a freaking mess, man. They were trying like free love stuff before the pill. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my the my brain reels. I don't I don't understand this period in history. One because it's not yeah. my own culture. I don't get it. Byron um, and Shelley doing like uh, rock paper scissors of who gets to impregnate. Uh, right. Their... Right. Yeah. 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 Like yeah, what is going wild. on here? But bonkers. Yeah. Um, you know. But hey, some good art comes out of it. I mean, usually yeah. that's the way. Um, yeah. yeah. Which does make it, it 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 is kind of humorous that Mary Shelley. It, it's. 
kind of ironic that Mary Shelley then puts Percy in the last man as like incredibly virtuous. I mean, I guess he's living out maybe Percy's Shelley's ideals, but it's also kind of sweet too. Like, you know what I mean? Like you would like hmm. to think that if you passed away and you're, you know, the, the, the survive your widow was a genius writer that maybe she would make you look good. <laughs> maybe she'd make you look a little better than you were. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's not as dour as it could be for an apocalyptic novel. I would yeah. say like the thing I have with uh, the, my main problem with most contemporary culture is that sort of like every artist alive thinks they need to be depressive and mm -hmm. dark and moody to be an actual fucking artist. Yeah. So like, yeah, anything with like a sort of a, a sweeping or a sentimental gesture feels like a reprieve. Certainly humor feels like a reprieve. Comedy. Right, yeah. comedies. Yeah. Did you guys watch Poor Things? Sort of yeah. relevant. Yeah, I, that movie fucking blew me away. I love I this. See it. Yeah, it's so good. I was on it the other day. Uh, talk. I was on the Perfect Nationalist talking about it, and I kind of Yorgos Lanthimos' older films, be the favorite, are kind of every all the problems that I'm talking about. You know, uh, made manifest. Just like mm. sort of one bait, a half baked, letter boxed speculative fictions that go yeah. nowhere yeah and now he's making these fucking grandiose baroque burlesque yeah. grotesque epic fucking films that are absolutely hilarious yeah and i think the people are responding to that because everything else is so dank dark and depressive and it's like oh my god you can approach adult material with a sense of happiness and fun like this is crazy yeah. Yeah, poor things is a great example because it's very, it's very, very sophisticated. But also, you're right; it's totally fun. It's it's has moments of being absolutely hilarious. It's weird. It's kind of repulsive at times. Like it does kind of it hits like every note basically. Yeah, it's the yeah. classic version. People think grotesque means something dark, or right, mm. but that's not actually what it means. It like, at least according to like the Rabelaisian grotesque, like the yeah. um, actual definition of it, it just it refers to the body. Mm -hmm. um orifices cavities sex shitting everything yeah. that just like relates to the body but it also fo focuses on the body as a source of liberation mm -hmm. um so poor things is like a classic grotesque uh greenaway used to do this too but greenaway never made a film that went down as smooth as poor things because he mm -hmm. was like very cruel uh at the same uh, okay. time okay um, yeah see there's there is light in poor things there is light there's cruelty too but there's there's definitely light. and actually it made me think of frankenstein while while i was watching well, it well it's an inverted frankenstein exactly it's like, what if dr frankenstein had the best intentions you know <laughs> right or like at least didn't have like purely mad intentions and that's a change from the novel by the way okay this is kind of interesting because the um, Alcider Gray, a uh, great Scottish author, I've only read one of his books, Lenark, which okay. is super cool. Um, obviously influenced by Mary Shelley to a large degree. And Poor Things is like his version of a Frankenstein story. Hmm. But I read that in the novel, the Godwin character is like Dr. Frankenstein purely evil uh -oh. i guess dr frankenstein's not purely evil but his yeah. madness sort of makes him so his obsession um so godwin in the novel is raising bella to be his paramour whereas in the film he's like more of a he's like a paternal and ultimately 
empathetic figure. Mm -hmm. And they also changed the ending quite a bit. Anyways, Yorgos made active efforts to make this thing a pleasure to watch as opposed to like a rape fest. (laughs) Everything else now is just so full of like rape and like darkness and like sexual, like sexual violence that it's just too much. Like Mm -hmm. the great thing about Mm -hmm. poor things is like, it suggests that there's, um, that degrading sex can be a source of like knowledge or liberation that it doesn't have to be purely awful, you know? Right. Right. Anyway, mm. it was great. Mm. Super off. Uh, sold fellas. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. go. I was just, I'm in the bag. I'm looking it up. There's a cinema I go to. That's like, a, yeah. it's a bit of a corporate one, but it's got nice loungers and they got food and da da da. I'm going to go over there. Yeah, I'm going to take good. myself on a date. Yeah, I'm going to go see go. more things. It's going to be good. Oh, and, and I, I love this. Uh, just while we're at, I also love this part of Willem Dafoe's career. I just think like everything I see him in now, it just puts a smile on my face. I mean, he so does everything. Yeah. Like he's yeah. just like the the go to character actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, did you see that Abel Ferrara has made a bunch of trash recently? It's like he mm-hmm. one of the few people who gets sober and just starts making terrible movies, you know, terrible <laughs> art or whatever. Oh man! But, um, oh no! <laughs> uh, but he did his last really good one was Tommaso in twenty nineteen, oh, which um. It's basically a autobiography where Willem Dafoe plays uh, a filmmaker, artist in recovery, living in Rome with a young wife and a baby. And Willem Dafoe fucking kills it. Oh, we're going to watch it. Yeah. 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 I gotta, definitely got to watch that. Well, what else we got on Last Man? I right. Mean- <laughs> I want to. Here's what I want to do. I want to. I've been, I've been saving this. You guys okay. are going to have to indulge me. I'm going to no. read. I want to read this poem. Okay. Can I read a poem? Read yes, a poem, it. please. Poem. It's it's a bit long, but I'm going to read it because I think it's just it's going to give us some context. This is from Lord Byron. This is this poem is called Darkness, and here we go. I had a dream which was not all a dream. The bright sun was extinguished, and the stars did wander darkling in the eternal space, rayless and pathless, and the icy earth swung blind and blackening in the moonless air. Morn came and went and came and brought no day, and men forgot their passions in the dread of this, their desolation, and all hearts were chilled into a selfish prayer for light. And they did live by watchfires and the thrones, the palaces of crowned kings, the huts, the habitations of all things which dwell were burnt for beacons, cities were consumed, and men were gathered round their blazing homes to look once more into each other's face. Happy were those who dwelt within the eye of the volcanoes and their mountain torch. A fearful hope was all the world contained. Forests were set on fire, but hour by hour they fell and faded, and the crackling trunks extinguished with a crash, and all was black. The brows of men by the despairing light wore an unearthly aspect, as by fits the flashes fell upon them. Some lay down and hid their eyes and wept, and some did rest, their chins upon their clenched hands, and smiled. And others hurried to and fro and fed their funeral piles with fuel and looked up with mad disquietude on the dull sky, the pall of a past world, and then again with curses cast them down upon the dust and gnashed their teeth and howled. The wild birds shrieked and terrified did flutter to the ground and flapped their useless wings. The wildest brutes came tame and tremulous and vipers crawled and twinned themselves among the multitude hissing, but stingless they were slain for food. And war 
which for a moment was no more, did glut himself again. A meal was bought with blood, and each sate sullenly apart, gorging himself in gloom. No love was left. All earth was but one thought, and that was death, immediate and inglorious. And the pang of famine fed upon all entrails. Men died, and their bones were tombless as their flesh. The meager by meager were devoured. Even dogs assailed their masters, all save one. And he was faithful to a course and kept the birds and beasts and famished men at bay till hunger clung them or the dropping dead lured their lank jaws. Himself sought out no food, but with a piteous and perpetual moan and a quick desolate cry licking the hand, which answered not with a caress, he died. The crowd was famished by degrees, but two of an enormous city did survive, and they were enemies. They met beside the dying embers of an altar place, where had been heaped a mass of holy things for an unholy usage. They raked up and shivering scrapped with their cold skeleton hands the feeble ashes, and their feeble breath blew for a little life and made a flame, which was a mockery. Then they lifted up their eyes as it grew lighter and beheld each other's aspects, saw and shrieked and died. Even of their mutual hideousness, they died, unknowing who he was upon whose brow famine had written fiend. The world was void. The populace and the powerful was a lump, seasonless, herbless, treeless, manless, lifeless, a lump of death, a chaos of hard clay. The rivers, lakes, and ocean all stood still and nothing stirred within their silent depths. Ships, sailorless, lay rotting on the sea, and their masts fell down piecemeal as they dropped. They slept on the abyss without a surge. The waves were dead, the tithes were in their grave, the moon their mistress had expired before, the winds were withered in the stagnant air, and the clouds perished. Darkness had no need of aid from them. She was the universe. I know that one. Darkness. <laughs> darkness. <laughs> wow. We were just talking about how hey, we need more, more levity and more humor, and then I choose to read yeah, that. I would... I would trade a thousand Civil War movies. The the cut this movie Civil War movie we were talking about for that. That was powerful. I mean, yeah. Byron was amazing. Yeah. Um, so vivid. So so but one also here's and here's like the flip side of that. The poem is obviously suffocatingly bleak, but you know Lord Byron just by his persona was delivering this with like a glint in the eye and a small smirk. Like oh, he sure. He loved shocking people and he loved fucking people up. So I can even read darkness and be like, this kind of has like, uh, this is, this, this is kind of pulling one over on us too. Well, you know? and, and it's, it's subtle, but you can feel him having fun with these details. I, I think, I mean, you know, he's so in love with the language, mm -hmm. yeah, true romantic sure. poet, you know, these people yeah. like, it must've been interesting. Cause I think, um, they're amongst the few like artists in history who knew what they were doing was very important, you know, mm. like they were in the knowledge that they were kind of like, like perhaps it was arrogance or delusion, but Lord Byron and Percy, maybe less so Mary, but certainly she achieved it anyways. Like they kind of knew that they were doing something new and radical that would, that would shift the yeah. culture. And I guess darkness is probably the first piece of apocalyptic media ever right it's gotta be 
you know, other than well, like I mean, outside, outside of the Bible, I mean, right. you know, outside yeah, of, since John yeah. the Revelator, yeah. and I'm sure there's yeah. some more, some ancient, but yeah, that that's such a powerful poem. I mean, it sounds like something you could read today. I mean, I know it's yeah. a little purple, and people don't write poems like this anymore. But why not? Oh, but you could, I dude, you could, you could, uh, you could lay those into lyrics of like a doom metal album oh totally <laughs> yeah oh yeah good it'd be do, awesome you're actually right Brent. people, people st- <laughs> yeah totally. yeah that's a good segue into the the botch chatification project mm-hmm. adam why don't you we've still got 15 20 minutes before yeah. we come back for the for the after dark for patreon tell people about your projects people who don't know you you're a you're a friend of the pod you've been on a number of times but for people just tuning in i am a multimedia artist and author and as of recent, the world's greatest rock star. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, like, okay, so Botch Stratification started with Alex Beanstalk, who's one of my best friends, known on certain parts of the internet for being um, a devilish retard. Anyways, the whole thing just started with him, like, uh, it's just like a joke. Because, you know, it was like after the pandemic and I was uh, getting back in shape and I was sort of complaining about it. And I was like, dude, I feel like a botched Chad. Um, (laughs) Because I was like starting to hit the weights again and I was just like in constant pain and like the the, the weight hadn't like fully left my body. The the excess hadn't left yet. So I was like, it's like botched Chadification. And then we were thinking about bad plastic surgery and all the things that men do now to... um, look good mm-hmm. and but then it sort of just became like a broader conceptual project dealing with like contemporary ideas of masculinity and failure and whatnot so we put out the first ep that had only four songs and it uh sold out pretty quick and then uh we made a video an album length video uh directed by another one of my best friends filmmaker and sculptor bradford kessler and the video did really well uh probably just because my dick is in it like several times so i'm sure that like up the click ratio on vimeo uh to quite an extent i still lament the fact that i didn't have enough time to diet beforehand so i have a little bit of like water on me in the video but then at least we have like performance documents now where I'm shredded to the bone. So like the concept has come fucking complete. Um, and then Instock and I have now recorded four more songs. Uh, one of which I think you guys is going to fucking love. It's like our sister Ray. It's okay. uh, it's called Tranny Chaser. It has a full like verse, chorus, verse. I can do the, the chorus right now. It's like... Um, Get it, get her out of my room. I'm in the mood for a hard and true. Oh, baby, I got a perverse need. Chasing trannies, that's the life. <laughs> so that one is my favorite. There's a couple wow. that I wrote too. And right, um, so we're doing shows. I've had a novel done for a year, but it's still in publishing hell right now. Oh, man. Well, we look forward to that for sure. And, and the I, rest I mean, I'm ready to get that off my fucking chest. I bet. And, um, and then I'm also working on a big non-fiction-ish project for a bigger publishing house that I awesome. procrastinated on way too fucking long because of the novel hanging over my head, but I'm can in you, the mix of now. Can you tell us about this big non-fiction piece or is this sort of hush-hush for the moment? Um, all right. I can say some things. I think the publisher does want me to like keep the details 
private. No, it's now. fine. Whatever, whatever you could say. But it's yeah. about a very well-known political figure from a very well-known political family who was very well-known for his misbehavior that was captured in that was captured at a computer store etc etc oh. etc et et hmm. um i haven't heard anything about this story so we'll be looking forward to that i'll just message yeah. you guys yeah. who it's about right now <laughs> so yeah we're pretty slow brad and i are really not we're very on the nose it's been said that we're not very self-aware which i find to be kind of amusing because i think brad and i are two of the most painfully self-aware people on the internet like we're, we're painfully earnest um that's awesome well i, I have cool. another article to kind of bring us back around to the last man and this is from jstor daily the lot nonprofit library for the, the intellectually curious and this is about disease theory in mary hmm. shelley's the last man hmm. so listen to this uh mary shelley was no stranger to disease her mother the brilliant mary wollstonecraft died of purple fever soon giving uh, soon after giving birth to her her daughter, Clara, died of dysentery at the age of one. Her son, William, died of malaria at the age of three. Her husband, Percy, drowned. His body had to be buried in quicklime because of Italian quarantine rules. Eventually, he was disinterred and cremated. Rumor has it that his heart wouldn't burn and was reportedly pulled from the funeral pyre by Edward Trelawney as he tended the fire. Trelawney claimed that if anybody saw him rescue Shelley's heart, I should have been put in quarantine. We're going to have a little more about Shelley and uh, and Percy's heart in the after dark. Um, now, listen to this. So this is called Contagionism versus Miasmatism. As scholar Anne McWord details in an article for Mosaic, there were two theories of disease transmission in the early 19th century. Uh some people thought the disease was spread by body fluids. Other people thought the disease was spread by podcasts. Um, <laughs> um, some in Shelley's time believed in contagion, diseases as transmitted by close contact or bodily fluids. Quarantine was a response to this, isolating people and things, including trade goods. Contagionists who were right but couldn't prove it lost ground to the miasmatists who believed that the air itself, stagnant, stinky, miasmic, was the source of infectious disease. Before microbiology, this wasn't a fringe idea. Plenty of people, medical people, were miasmatists. The air, malaria in the Italian, bad air, even gets its name from this, malaria, right? So Mary Shelley, who was aware of the contemporary philosophical scientific discourse, like, like Adam said, she was a science respecter. She was very interested in this stuff. She was a miasmatist. And apparently in the, in the last man, that's kind of the, the operating theory of the plague. So mm -hmm. Anne McWurr writes, the novel demonstrates the futility of all such public health and quarantine measures against fatal atmospheric influences. Mm -hmm. So according to McWurr's analysis, the plague in The Last Man is both disease and metaphor. Now, this is a very interesting problem because, you know, we know that, you know, the contagionists won the argument but I have I have an interesting idea that I'm just going to throw out here that like I think like the pharmaceutical advertising that America is subjected to there's only one other country that allows it and it's New Zealand I think that that causes disease 100 <laughs> percent summons it yeah I and so yeah, go ahead. 
No, no. So what, you know, what is that if not the miasma? Maybe we call it the memeasma. It's like the mm-hmm. it's like the the memosphere can infect people. I, I think that's why I think they actually get a kick out of having the side effects beamed into everybody's house because it's planting little little seeds in your brain. This this may cause, you know, shingles and wet mm-hmm. farts and sudden death 100%. and bad vibes, uh, you know? Yeah. Michelle mm-hmm. and I were watching Hulu, right? Uh, <clears throat> I was watching that new season of Fargo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only season of Fargo that I ended up liking, though it was still not terrific, but John Hammond's sure. bad guy. Pretty cool and whatnot. Mm-hmm. From North Anyways, Dakota. That's right. Yeah, the North mm-hmm. Dakota yeah. mean, like, yep. a meme of a conservative Midwesterner man. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, the advertisements are all for, like, HIV medications, random anxieties, and then they, when they do the side effect profile, it goes on for like six minutes. Mm-hmm. It's like diarrhea, vomiting, melting your insides, coming blood. It's just like <laughs> it just is so crazy. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Totally yeah. unhinged that we allow that. Totally it's, insane it's, that we allow ridiculous. that. We're not a wealthy it's, nation. All not the really. ads, all the fucking ads on Hulu. You don't see like a cool Ford commercial or goddamn Coke commercial. You see mm. fucking random ass drugs over and over and over and over. Yeah. I believe I really believe it's a black magic spell like that they that they cast kind of over the population. I, I truly believe that. It, well, I, they 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 do sometimes advertise for a drug a drug for a, a supposed ailment that I've never even heard of. Like, yeah. I, and and I don't I don't know what enough about these, but I remember like I don't know five or six years ago they like I felt like they invented restless leg syndrome. Maybe it's a real thing. That's so, just like, like being anxious. I tap my foot and like you know sometimes pick at my cuticles or whatever. It doesn't mean I have a fucking disease. Right. And like all the drugs they give us, we have a lot of hypocrisy around drugs in this country, obviously. Mm-hmm. But things that are like uh, potentially beneficial. Um, like every man in his forties, basically, and older, could benefit from uh, hormone replacement. You know, mm-hmm. it just is what it is. Everyone would feel better with a bit more testosterone inside of them. Mm-hmm. But um, they make that prohibitively fucking expensive. Like my dad is on it, but my dad has however much money he has. Like, and um, but if I wanted to get benzos or opiates or antidepressants or things that like brought me down as opposed to building me up you can get all that shit a phone call away now you can right. literally get xanax by just like contacting a psychotherapist over like dm being like god damn i'm so anxious right and they'll be like you know what you need <laughs> yeah. a crippling fucking benzo addiction right yeah exactly um, yeah and these things are super super dangerous and yeah oh man yeah, and I mean, I get it. You know, it's hard to sleep. We're all overstimulated. A fucking piece of a Xanax ain't going to kill you here and there. But it's like um, everyone feels sick now. Yeah, and, and and to hide it, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's the veneer of the doctors approving it, so it's okay. You might be better off if you... You might be better off if you like did your own research and bought it well, over the counter. And, that, and that's really what that advertising is about. It's about, and this is an overused word, but it really is about normalizing it mm-hmm. and giving it authority and the imprimatur mm-hmm. of, well, if the NFL, right. you know, right. is taking money right. from Pfizer, right. God damn it, that's America. Right. 
Yeah, yeah Travis a, Kelsey doing that shit. I couldn't fucking believe that. Unreal, that dude. Yeah. yeah, they're just the but worst. But they paid people. him 17 million. Like you sure. can't say no to that. Of you course. Know? So I get it. Like they give you a fistful of cash. Like you just you have to think about your own family. So they mm. just literally buy your soul. Mm. Sad to see. I hate to see it. Mm. That's the miasma. That's what I mean that by the yeah. Miasma. There, that is the miasma. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the the plugs for the after dark for Patreon. Uh, but first, Adam, uh, tell people where they can find you online, and you know what you got going on right now, and then I'll I'll we'll come back for the after dark. Um, uh, safetypropaganda.substack.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, and um, safety uh, bot stratification full length CD is mastered by Mr. James Plotkin. Mm. of old lady drivers and cool. which is pretty cool stamp of approval very cool and um we're making art for it and that'll be out within a couple of months awesome we'll look forward to that we'll pump that up when when we see it man always right. a pleasure talking to you adam always and, a pleasure yeah, yeah 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 you're the hard come back and, man in whatever business in is that this is yeah. multimedia artistry hardest working man in pharma <laughs> Um, so yeah real briefly in the after dark we're going to talk about frankenstein i got i have this really funny article from the sun that's like how opium fueled orgies and lightning gave birth to mary shelley's frankenstein so we're going to read some real over the top stuff and then (laughs) uh you know we're going to talk more about did mary and percy actually first consummate their love at her mother's grave uh, so those are a few things for Patreon, patreon.com slash Art of Dark Pod on cool. the After Dark. And Adam, when we do Hunter, maybe we got to come back on. We'll talk about. Uh, It'd be cool like to said, revisit that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Kentucky gentleman. Yeah. All right, boys, we'll be back in a few minutes. And uh, I guess I don't try not to catch anything nasty between here and there. Let's try. <laughs> <laughs>